Jesus is Lord. Amen. Yes. Yes. He is risen. That is the highest declaration that we as Christians can make. It is a unique claim that we have that we follow a God, a Savior, a leader who died and rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate today is that incredible act in history, that incredible act in redemption of the resurrection. And so I'm not here to tell you something new today. You know, everybody has been posting all over social media, he is risen. I guess that's a spoiler alert, you know. Uh, we all know why we're here. So I'm not here to tell you something new. I'm here for us to celebrate what we already know. I'm here for us to remember where our faith is and how, how deep and how meaningful the resurrection of Jesus is for us. The specific invitation I want to make to you today is for you to come and see the exalted king. It is a culmination of our Come and See series that we have been on for three months. Uh, the invitation of the gospel to come and see, follow Jesus. And, and you've seen him uh, every Sunday in his power and his authority, in his teachings. And, and now we come to the, to the grand finale, to, to the culmination, to the climax of that gospel story. And it is found in the gospel of John chapter 20, verse 1. I invite you to go there with me if you have your Bibles, your devices, or you can follow on the screen here. Uh, up front, John 20, verse 1, and it reads like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So this first Easter morning that we read about here in the Gospel of John seems to be more about bad news than it is about good news. If you can imagine, Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus so much, had been broken, had been devastated by the events of that Friday of the crucifixion. And now she had to wait for the Sabbath to, to pass and she had to wait for the night of the first day to pass so that she could go to the tomb. She'd been waiting expectantly, uh, grieving and sad that her savior, her, her master is dead. And, and now she goes to the tomb and, and what she finds is that the, the stone has been rolled away. Now for you and me, this side of Easter, that's good news. But it wasn't good news for Mary Magdalene. It, 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 it was bad news on top of bad news. Because even though she saw the stone rolled away, it did not occur to her that Jesus had risen. 
The only logical explanation that Mary could have for, for seeing the empty tomb was that someone had taken the body of Jesus. That, that these enemies that cried, crucified him on Friday that probably had found some way to come and find his body and not only have tortured it and executed it, but now desecrated it by removing it from the tomb. It adds insult to injury. And now Mary finds herself in this tragedy. And sometimes that happens to us, isn't it? Sometimes we, we are expecting good news and we get bad news. Sometimes we want things to get better and things seem to get worse. We, we seek relief from our pain and yet it seems to be prolonged. And that's why seeing is so important. This invitation to come and see. Because sometimes our circumstances blur our vision. Sometimes the clouds and the storms of life do not allow us to see beyond them. It takes the supernatural work of God to open our spiritual eyes and to allow us to see beyond the clouds, beyond the tears, beyond the brokenness. That's why the gospel invitation is so powerful. Come and see. Come and allow God to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see. You can see an exalted king. Even in what could be the worst of circumstances. To be exalted means to be lifted up above. And the exalted king sits above our circumstances. Seeing Jesus as the exalted king requires a personal encounter. The resurrection of Jesus has a lot of implications. There are personal implications and there are implications for the church and for theology and for the world. But it begins first and foremost with a personal encounter. Easter is first of all a personal matter. John tells us about a personal encounter that Mary Magdalene had with the risen Lord in the following verses. Verse 11, if you go there with me, as we continue the story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. In her grief, Mary Magdalene is, is looking for the body of Jesus. And she goes to the tomb and there are these two angels. And she asks the two angels, where is his body? Tell me where you have put him. And it's really interesting to me that, that first of all, Mary Magdalene discovers a stone that has been rolled away. 
And then there are two angels. You would think that something would go on. You would think that after seeing the stone rolled away and seeing two angels, you would go, oh yeah. But, but her grief is so much that she doesn't see it. She's asking the wrong questions. I wonder how many times in our, when our spiritual eyes have not been open, we're looking for the wrong thing. We're asking the wrong questions. How many times in our pain and brokenness, we, we're looking in the wrong direction. God has something bigger and better for us, but we're, we're looking back with nostalgia with, at what was, what used to be, when God has something new to show us. So Jesus appears to her and, and she does not recognize him. The, the tears had blurred her vision. And he asked her why she's crying. And she thinks that maybe he's a cemetery worker. And she says, look, if, if you have put him somewhere else, just tell me, I'll go get him. I don't need your help. I just need to know where he is. And Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And suddenly this sound of this voice, this tone somehow echoes in the chambers of her memory. And, and she goes back to the one first day when Jesus first called her by name. It was a life-changing experience. I love the way that the Dallas Jenkins imagines that powerful moment in The Chosen. In fact, watch this clip to remember that moment. Mary. Mary of Magdala. says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You The very first time that Jesus called her name, her life was changed. She received healing and forgiveness and, and a purpose. And, and that's why when, when, when he dies, when, when he's crucified, when, when he's buried, her hope seems to go away. But on this day, on this first Easter morning, he calls her name again. And her hope is restored. In fact, she's raised to a new dimension of life. There's something even bigger than the first time he called her name. And her life will be different. It'll never be the same. 
For, for one thing, she becomes the first preacher of the Easter message. Mary Magdalene becomes the first preacher in gospel history of the Easter message. Don't that, tell that to other people because they might get upset. But it's here in the Bible. And it's a reminder that each of us has to have a personal encounter with the risen Lord. God doesn't call us in bunches. God doesn't save us in mass. He knows your name. He knows your pain. He knows your past. He knows your brokenness. He knows your struggle. He knows where you've been and he knows where you're going. He knows your dreams and your hopes and he knows his plan for you. And at Easter morning, the resurrected Lord calls you by name. And the response of Mary, Rabbi, it was a response of faith. It's you. I believe. And it's the response that is required of us is to, is to say, yes, I want to have this encounter with the risen Lord. Have you had that encounter? Have you placed your faith in the risen Lord today? Seeing Jesus as the exalted king requires a personal encounter it also renders a peaceful experience. You know, we live in a world where I believe that fear is, is a pandemic. I mean, people are afraid of so many things. We've studied, when we've studied about anthropology and missions, we study about cultures of fear in other parts of the world. But, but I believe that here in, in the Western culture, in, in, in this technologically advanced society that now we are a culture of fear. We're afraid of so many things. People are afraid of AI. People are afraid of the government. People are afraid of, uh, of the way that, that the world around us is changing and the moral values are, are decaying. People are afraid of, of losing their way of life. People are afraid of the economy. People are afraid of disease. People are afraid of, of criminals. People are afraid of war. People are afraid of, of the police. People are afraid of themselves sometimes. And fear makes you do and say crazy things. Fear makes you sometimes hang out with the wrong people. Fear makes you overreact and it makes you lose perspective. Fear will steal your joy. You will miss so many things in life, so many good things when, when you're driven by fear Jesus' disciples were still in shock about what had happened on that Friday. They had seen their, their teacher, their, their beloved master, the one who had healed, the one who had, who, who had lifted up others, who, who had blessed children and, and blessed women. They had seen him killed, tortured, and they were filled with grief. What was to become of them now that they had lost their rabbi? And their grief was, was augmented by the fact that they were afraid for their own lives. Because it was just a matter of time for the religious people to find them. Who are the closest followers of this rabbi that we've crucified? How can we get rid of, of this entire movement? And so the disciples are filled with fear and, and they go and they gather in a house under lock and key. The very first gathering of disciples after the resurrection is closed to visitors. 
and is filled with fear. Listen to what the scripture says in verse 19 of John 20. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The resurrected Lord appears in this secret gathering of disciples. And I imagine they must have had a heart attack. They were already afraid. They were already just thinking about what was going to happen to them. And then this, this person that they knew was dead, because they saw that, appears right in the midst of them. They must have saw, thought they'd see, seen a ghost. But whatever shock they must have experienced didn't last very long because the first word that Jesus pronounces in their midst is peace. Peace be with you. The Hebrew word is shalom. The Hebrew word is rich. Shalom doesn't just mean peace. It means wholeness. It means everything the way it was supposed to be. The way God meant it to be. When, you, when a Jewish person says shalom, it, 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 it just encompasses all of that. Now, they use it as a greeting. When they say hello, they say shalom. When they say goodbye, they say shalom. But, but when Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you, it means peace. It is Shalom. If someone is trying to kill you, you might be afraid. Maybe you should be. If you lose a loved one, if you lose someone that, that you really, really love, it probably bring grief and loneliness. But when the one that you love the most, in fact, when the one that loves you the most has conquered death and shows up in your life, shows up in your home, he comes to bring peace. He comes to cast your fears away. Notice how verse 19, the disciples are filled with fear, but in verse 20, they are overjoyed. Fear and joy. And what happens in between? Jesus. Jesus comes in and he says, peace. And here's the thing. The resurrection means that we don't have to live in fear. The resurrection means that Jesus' people aren't people of fear. Regardless of what the world is telling you, regardless of what the headlines want you to believe, regardless of, of the spin of the social media, listen, people, Jesus lives. Christ has risen from the dead. He comes and he declares in our midst, peace be with you. We don't have to prolong our grief. When we lose a loved one, it hurts. There's grief and it's okay to cry. It's okay to think today about those that we love that have already gone to be with the Lord or about those that we love that, that are on the brink of death today. It's okay to hurt. But, but we grieve not as those who have no hope. We have peace in the midst of our grief. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know that he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. And peace is not just a personal experience. Notice that here, it is a corporate experience. Jesus enters into a gathering of disciples and he offers peace to them. 
He, he, what he's doing is he's establishing a community of peace and hope. See, you have to have a personal encounter with the risen Lord in order to experience deliverance and salvation and healing. But the resurrection life is not just an individual life. It is a corporate life. It is a church life. It is the community of disciples together experiencing the peace and the hope that Christ comes to give us. We are people of peace and hope. And that should characterize our gatherings. Peace and hope should characterize our relationships. Seeing Jesus as the exalted king requires a personal encounter. It renders a peaceful experience as a people of God. And it results in a powerful endowment. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a past event. It's not just something that stays in history. Jesus rose from the dead and he's exalted. He's above sin. He's above death. He's above circumstances. And that matters. It matters greatly. An encounter with the risen Lord changes us. It rescues us from our sin and it lifts us up to a new dimension, to a higher plane of living, to living in hope. That is, that is what makes a difference, to have hope. People who think that the only explanation for, for what is around us is some kind of molecules that accidentally came together and, and, and that all that we are is some kind of physical beings living without meaning and without purpose. What a sad way to live. We know there's more than that. We know there's a God above who came down to earth to live among us, to show us what life is about. And he died for us and, and he saved us and he rose from the dead. And because he lives, we can live in hope. It matters. The, the resurrection means that Jesus began the process of making all things right. See, Jesus won the most important battle at the cross, he defeated sin. At the empty grave, he defeated death. And now he's establishing his kingdom. He is claiming territory that had always belonged to him and that someone else had claimed. And as his kingdom advances, he's making things right. Now, there's a lot of things in this world that are not right. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of injustice. But I tell you this, one day, everything will be made right. The resurrection is a guarantee of that. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the announcement that he has risen to establish his kingdom forever. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter on social media and on the news channels about the upcoming coronation of King Charles in the UK. And, and people have seen the invitation and they've published it because it calls Camilla queen, not queen consort. And so there's controversy about that. And, and so that's coming up May 6th. I keep looking at my mailbox. My invitation hasn't arrived yet, uh, but I'm sure it's just running late. You know, UK mail maybe runs a little slower, but uh, you, you know, I, I like following those events and people are interested and I'm sure a lot of people will watch on that day, the coronation and all the pomp and, and, and the grandiose events that happen. But we may ask ourselves today, will, will King Charles be a better king than Queen Elizabeth? Will, will the UK be a better kingdom with Charles and Camilla? Will, will the world be a different place with, with these new people on the throne? And 
You want to know my opinion? No? Yes? My opinion is this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I, I really don't know what, how different the world will be because of that coronation day. But I can tell you this. I know that King Jesus does make a difference. I know that when he's exalted, he was exalted so that the world would be different. The resurrected Lord has endowed us to follow him, to be a community of hope and peace, to, to advance his kingdom. Not only do we experience hope and peace when we encounter the resurrected Lord, but we're ambassadors of hope and peace. We're, we're the embassy of the king in a broken world. Look at verse 21 with me. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus commissions his disciples in the same way as the Father commissioned him. When the Father sent Jesus from, from heaven to earth, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I send you with the same authority with the same urgency, with the same mission. Jesus came to reconcile people to God. Jesus came to defy the powers that be. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. Jesus came to defeat the work of Satan. Jesus came to make all things new. And we are commissioned to join him in that mission. That's big. That's huge. Jesus' followers, you and me, are endowed with the power to make a difference. We are Easter people. We're resurrection people, and we're called to make a difference in the world. As Easter people, we are people of reconciliation. That means that we point people to Christ, that as people are looking down, as people are looking around, as people are pointing fingers at each other, as people are, are yelling at each other, we point up and we say, there's the king who rules and will forever rule, and would you be reconciled to him? Would you be reconciled to God through him? As Easter people, we're people of reconciliation, but we're also people of peace. That means we promote peace. We want peace in our church. We want peace in our community. We want peace in our world. We pray for peace. We work for peace. We look for common ground. We're people of peace, and Easter people are also people of justice. Because you can't have peace unless you have justice. So as people of justice, we, we look for fairness. We look that people we treat it equally and fairly. We fight against injustice. We fight against oppression. We fight against discrimination, against persecution. We stand with the vulnerable and the voiceless. Because our God is a God of justice, a God of righteousness, and we are his people. As Easter people, we are people of the kingdom. We pray for his kingdom to come and we follow wherever the king leads us. In his authority, we love. In his authority, we serve. In his authority, we do good. In his authority, we build. In his authority, we speak truth to power. I've been so blessed as I've come back from sabbatical to, to see different groups from our church that are traveling to different parts, doing this kind of thing in New York and in Parras. And then this weekend, we had a group from our church that said, we're going to spend our, our, our days off, our Good Friday and Saturday, we're going to spend it in Reynosa. 
and we're going to go to the migrant camps and we're going to do vacation Bible school with the kids. And some of our members like Luca are, have medical training and they said, we're going to do a medical brigade for those immigrants that are there in Reynosa. And in the rain and in the cold, they were there because they're people of the kingdom, because they're resurrection people that believe they're here to make a difference. And I'm excited about a team that tomorrow leaves to Chiapas. That's in the southern part of Mexico where there are people groups that speak indigenous languages. And we had somehow figured out a way to find Bibles in their language. And, and there are churches being planted. And so our team is going to go to, to uh, the forming of a new church in one of those villages that are remote. I signed a Bible that uh, Jose Luis Jimenez is going to deliver to them. It's not the first Bible I signed. And they like that. They, they like to receive a Bible signed by Pastor Julio somewhere in McAllen. I don't know if they know where that is. But they know that there's a church somewhere that believes that the kingdom of God needs to advance everywhere, including Chapas. Jesus as the exalted king requires that we have a personal encounter with him that results in a peaceful experience, an experience of shalom. And then he makes us people of peace. Easter is about a personal encounter. It's about belonging to a community of hope. And it's about being ambassadors to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. The resurrection is personal. It's about the people of God and it's a public matter too. It's a ripple effect that takes place in our heart and goes from our heart to our church, to our community and to the ends of the earth. What an exciting thing to be a part of that. And today I'm wondering which of these do you need to experience this Easter? Is it the personal encounter? Have you ever come to that place in your life where you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe this is like your 30th Easter or your 40th Easter or your 50th. I don't know. But maybe all these years you've known about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, you've gone to church on Easter, but you've never trusted Jesus. You've never had a personal encounter with him. But today you can do so. Today you can say, I trust Jesus and I need his forgiveness. I need his healing. I need his hope. Maybe what you need most today is, is to belong to a community of, of hope, to be part of the church, to, to, to have fellowship, to grow together in discipleship, in what it means to be the people of God. And maybe today you make a commitment to follow the Lord in believers' baptism or or to join a group. Maybe what God is calling you to do today is, is to be that ambassador to the world. You know how. You know your career, your vocation, your, your circle of influence where God wants to use you. And today you said, Easter's going to matter beyond today for me. Maybe there's a specific commitment that you need to make today. Trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Follow him in believers' baptism. Join this church. Maybe your calling today as, as part of the Calvary family is to, is to give above and beyond your regular giving to the budget. We, as a Calvary family, uh, have a budget of ministry that we commit to give 
Sunday to Sunday. But in this season of Easter, we say we're going to do something above and beyond. We're, we're going to do a global missions offering. And we're going to give to things that we don't have in our budget to relieve world hunger, to, to join the Baptist family around the world that is dealing with persecution and war and, and, and to empower our people who go on mission trips. Maybe that's your commitment today. Another area where you might commit is, is to pray. Tomorrow we start seven weeks of prayer all the way to Pentecost Sunday. And the prayer is this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. For seven weeks we're going to pray around that theme. Maybe you want to commit to be a part of that daily prayer in your own life. Whatever God is calling you to do, this is the time to commit. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I thank you for the Easter message. I thank you for the risen Savior. I thank you for the hope that he brings to us. And today as we respond to that message, I pray, Father, that we would respond in worship, that we would respond in commitment, that we would realize that Easter is more than just a one-day celebration, but it's a way of life for your people. So may your spirit work in our hearts right now to respond. For those that want to give their lives to you today for salvation. For those that are making other commitments. Lead our heart. Encourage our faith. And allow your spirit to finish the work in us, even now.